Welcome to Reformed in Public. We continue with the reading of The Rare Jewel of Christian Contentment by Jeremiah Burroughs. This work is considered public domain. Please visit our show notes page at anchor.fm forward slash reformed in public. 8. He lives upon the dew of God's blessing. Adrian Junius uses the smile of a grasshopper to describe a contented man and says that he has this motto, I am content with what I have and hope for better. A grasshopper leaps and skips up and down and lives on the dew. A grasshopper does not live on the grass as other things do. You do not know what it feeds on. Other things, though as little as grasshoppers, feed upon seeds, or little flies, and such things. But as for the grasshopper, you do not know what it feeds upon. In the same way, a Christian can get food that the world does not know of. He is fed in a secret way by the dew of the blessing of God. A poor man or woman, who has but a little with grace, lives a more contented life than his rich neighbor who has a great income. We find it so ordinarily, though they have but little, yet they have a secret blessing of God with it, which they cannot express to anyone else. If you were to come to them and say, how is it that you live as happily as you do? They cannot tell you what they have, but they find there is a sweetness in what they do enjoy, and they know by experience that they never had such sweetness in former times. Even though they had a greater abundance in former times than they have now, yet they know they never had such sweetness, but how this comes about they cannot tell. We may mention some considerations in what godly men enjoy which make their condition sweet. For example, take these four or five considerations with which a godly man finds contentment in what he has, though it is ever so little. 1. Because in what he has, he has the love of God to him. If a king were to send a piece of meat from his own table, it would be a great deal more pleasant to a courtier than if he had twenty dishes, as in ordinary allowance. If the king sends even a little thing and says, Go and carry it to that man as a token of my love, oh, how delightful would that be to him! When your husbands are at sea and send you a token of their love, it is worth more than forty times what you already have in your houses. Every good thing the people of God enjoy, they enjoy it in God's love, as a token of God's love, and coming from God's eternal love to them, and this must needs be very sweet to them. 2. What they have is sanctified to them for good. Other men have what they enjoy in the way of common providence, but the saints have it in a special way. Others have what they have, and no more, meat, and drink, and houses, and clothes, and money, and that is all. But a gracious heart finds contentment in this. I have it, and I have a sanctified use of it too. I find God goes along with what I have to draw my heart nearer to Him, and sanctify my heart to Him. 
If I find my heart drawn near to God by what I enjoy, that is much more than if I have it without sanctifying of my, without sanctifying of my heart by it. There is a secret dew that goes along with it, the dew of God's love in it, and the dew of sanctification. 3. A gracious heart has what he has, free of cost. He is not likely to be called to pay for it. The difference between what a godly man has and a wicked man is this. A godly man has, as a child in an inn, an innkeeper has his child in the house and provides his diet and lodging and what is needful for him. Now a stranger comes and he has dinner and supper provided and lodging, but the stranger must pay for everything. It must be that the child's fare is meaner than the fare of the stranger. The stranger has boiled and roast and baked, but he must pay for it. There must come a reckoning for it. Just so it is, many of God's people have only mean fare, but God as a father provides what it and it is free of cost. They need not pay for what they have. It is paid for before, but the wicked in all their pomp and pride and finery, they have what they ask for, but there must come a reckoning for everything. They must pay for all the conclusion. And is it not better to have a little free of cost than to have to pay for everything? Grace shows a man that what he has, he has free of cost, from God as from a father, and therefore it must needs be very sweet. For a godly man may very well be content, though he has only a little, for what he does have he has by right of Jesus Christ, by the purchase of Jesus Christ. He has a right to it, a different kind of right to that which a wicked man can have to what he has. A wicked man, wicked men have certain outward things. I do not say they are usurpers of what they have. They have a right to it, and that before God. But how? It is a right by mere donation, that is, God, by his free bounty, gives it to them. But, but... The right that the saints have is a right of purchase. It is paid for, and it is their own, and they may have, in a holy manner and holy way, claim whatever they have need of. We cannot express the difference between the right of a holy man and the right of the wicked more more fully than by the following simile. A criminal is condemned to die, and yet, by favor, he has his supper provided overnight. Now, though the criminal has forfeited all his right to all things, to every bit of bread, yet, if he is given his supper, he does not steal it. This is true, though he has forfeited all rights by his fault, and after he has once been condemned, he has no right to anything. So it is with the wicked. They have forfeited all their right to the comforts of this world. They are condemned by God as criminals, and they are going to execution. But if God, in his bounty, gives them something to preserve them, here in the world, they cannot be said to be thieves or robbers. But if a man is given a supper overnight before his execution, is that like the supper that he has... 
Is that like the supper that he was wont to have in his own house, when he ate his own bread and had his wife and children about him? Oh, a dish of green herbs at home would be a great deal better than any dainties in such a supper as that. But a child of God has not a right merely by donation. What he has is his own, though the purchase through the purchase of Christ. Every bit of bread you eat, if you are a godly man or woman, Jesus Christ has bought it for you. You go to market and buy your meat and drink with your money. But know that before you buy it or pay money, Christ has bought it at the hand of God the Father with his blood. You have it at the hands of men for money, but Christ has bought it at the hand of his Father by his blood. Certainly it is a great deal better and sweeter now, though it is but a little. 5. There is another thing that shows the sweetness that is in the little that the saints have, by which they come to have contentment, whereas others cannot, that is, every little that they have is but as an earnest penny for all the glory that is reserved for them. It is given them by God. As the forerunner of those eternal mercies that the Lord intends for them, a first installment which guarantees that the rest is to follow. Now if a man has but twelve pence given to him as an earnest penny for some great possession that he must have, is that not better than if he had forty pounds given to him otherwise? So every comfort that the saints have in this world is an earnest penny to them of those eternal mercies that the Lord has provided for them. Just as every affection, just as every affliction that the wicked have here is but the beginning of sorrows, and forerunner of those eternal sorrows that they are likely to have hereafter in hell. So every comfort you have is a forerunner of those eternal mercies you shall have with God in heaven. Not only are the consolations of God's Spirit the forerunners of those eternal comforts you shall have in heaven, but when you sit at your table, the rejoicing of your and rejoice with your wife and children and friends, you may look upon every one of those but as a forerunner, ye the very earnest penny of eternal life to you. Now, if this is so, it is no marvel that a Christian is contented, but this is a mystery to the wicked. I have what I have from the love of God, and I have it sanctified to me by God, and I have it free of cost from God by the purchase of the blood of Jesus Christ, and I have it as a forerunner of those eternal mercies that are reserved for me. And in this my soul rejoices. There is a secret too of God's goodness and blessing upon him in his estate that others have not. By all this you may see the meaning of that scripture. Better is a little with righteousness than great revenues without right. Proverbs 16.8 A man who has but a little, yet if he has it with righteousness, it is better than a great deal without right. He better than the great revenues of the wicked. So you have it in another scripture. That is the next thing in Christian 
contentment. The mystery is that is in this, that he lives on the dew of God's blessing, in all the good things that he enjoys. 9. Not only in good things does a Christian have the dew of God's blessing, and find them very sweet to him, but in all the afflictions, all the evils that befall him, he can see love, and can enjoy the sweetness of love in his afflictions, as well as in his mercies. The truth is that the afflictions of God's people come from the same eternal love that Jesus Christ came from. Jerome said, He is, hap- he is a happy man who is beaten when the stroke is a stroke of love. All God's strokes are strokes of love and mercy. All God's ways are mercy and truth. To those that fear him and love him. Psalm 25.10 The ways of God, the ways of affliction, as well as the ways of prosperity, are mercy and love. Grace gives a man an eye, a piercing eye to pierce the counsel of God. Those eternal counsels of God for good to him, even in his afflictions. He can see the love of God in every affliction, as well as in prosperity. Now, this is a mystery to a carnal heart. They can see no such thing, perhaps them rich, but the thing they can see no such thing, perhaps them rich, but they, the thing God loves them when he prospers them and makes them rich. But they think God loves them not when he afflicts mystery. Grace enables men to see love in the very frown of God's face, and so come to receive contentment. 10. A godly man has contentment as a mystery, because just as he sees all his afflictions come from the same love that Jesus Christ did, so he sees them all sanctified in Jesus Christ, sanctified in a mediator. He says, I say, all the sting and venom and poison of them, taken out by the virtue of Jesus Christ, the mediator between God and man. For instance, when a Christian would have contentment, he works it out thus. What is my affliction? Is it poverty that God strikes me with? Is it poverty that God strikes me with? Jesus Christ had not a house to hide his head in. The fowls of the air had nests and the foxes holes, but the Son of Man had not a hole to hide his head in. Now my poverty is sanctified by Christ's poverty. I can see by faith the curse and sting of venom taken out of my poverty by the poverty of Jesus Christ. Christ Jesus was poor in this world to deliver me from the curse of my poverty, so my poverty is not afflictive if I can be contented in such a condition. That is the way, not to stand and repine, because I have not what others have. No, but I am poor, and Christ was poor, that he might bless my poverty to me. And so again, am I disgraced or dishonored? Is my good name taken away? Why, Jesus Christ had dishonor put upon him. He was called Beelzebub, and a Samaritan, and they said he had a devil in him. All the foul aspersions that could be were cast upon Jesus Christ, and this was for me, that I might have the disgrace that is cast upon me sanctified to me.
whereas another man's heart is overwhelmed with dishonor and disgrace, and he seeks in this way to get contentment. Perhaps you have been spoken ill of, and you have no other way to ease and right yourselves, but if they abuse you, you will abuse them back, and so you think to ease yourselves. Oh, but a Christian has another way to ease himself. Others abuse and speak ill of me, but did they not abuse Jesus Christ and speak ill of him? And what am I in comparison of Christ? And the subject of Christ to such an evil was for me, that though such a thing should come upon me, I might know that the curse of it is taken from me through Christ's subjection to that evil. Thus, a Christian can be content when anybody speaks ill of him. Now, this is a mystery to you, to get contentment in this way. So, if men jeer and scoff at you, did they not do so to Jesus Christ? They jeered and scoffed at him, and that when he was in his greatest extremity upon the cross, they said, He is the king of the Jews, and they bowed the knee and said, Hail, king of the Jews, and put a reed into his hand and mocked him. Now I get contentment in the midst of scorns and jeers by considering that Christ was scorned, and by acting faith upon what Christ suffered for me. Am I in great bodily pain? Jesus Christ had as great pain in his body as I have, though it is true he did not have the same kind of sickness as we have, yet he had as great pain and tortures in his body, and that which was deadly to him as much as any sickness is to us. The exercising of faith on what Christ endured is the way to get contentment in the midst of our pains. Someone lies vexing and fretting and cannot bear his pain. Are you a Christian? Have you ever tried this way of getting contentment, to act your faith on all the pains and sufferings that Jesus Christ suffered? This would be the way of contentment, and a Christian gets contentment when under pains. In this way, sometimes one who is very godly and gracious, may be found bearing grievous pains and extremities very cheerfully, and you wonder at it. He gets it by acting his faith upon what pains Jesus Christ suffered. You are afraid of death. The way to get contentment is by exercising your faith on the death of Jesus Christ. It may be that you have inward troubles in your soul, and God withdraws himself from you. Still your faith is to be exercised upon the sufferings that Jesus Christ endured in his soul. He poured forth his soul before God, and when he sweat drops of water and blood, he was in an agony in his very spirit, and he found even God himself about to forsake him. Now, thus to act your faith on Jesus Christ brings contentment, and is not this a mystery to carnal hearts? A gracious heart finds contentment as a mystery. It is no marvel that St. Paul said, I am instructed in a mystery, to be contented in whatsoever condition I am in. 11. There is still a further mystery, for I hope you will find this a very useful point, and that before we have finished, you will see how simple it is for one who is skilled in religion to get contentment. Though it is hard for one who is carnal, I say the eleventh mystery in contentment is this, 
a gracious heart has contentment by getting strength from Jesus Christ. He is able to bear his burden by getting strength from someone else. Now, this is a riddle, and it would be counted ridiculous in the school of the philosophers to say, If there is a burden on you, you must get strength from someone else. Indeed, if you must have another come and stand under the burden, they could understand that. But that you should be strengthened by the strength of someone else, who is not near you, as far as you can see, they would think ridiculous. But a Christian finds satisfaction in every circumstance by getting strength from another, by going out of himself to Jesus Christ, by his faith acting upon Christ, and bringing the strength of Jesus Christ into his own soul, he is thereby enabled to bear whatever God lays on him, by the strength that he finds from Jesus Christ. Of his fullness do we receive grace for grace. There is strength in Christ not to sanctify and save us, but not only to sanctify and save us, but strength to support us under all our burdens and afflictions. And Christ expects that when we are under any burden, we should act our faith upon him and draw virtue and strength from him. Faith is the great grace that is to be acted under afflictions. It is true that other graces should be acted, but the grace of faith draws strength from Christ. In looking on him who has the fullness of all strength conveyed into the heart of all believers. Now if a man has a burden to bear, and yet can have strength added to him if the burden is doubled, he can have his strength troubled. The burden will not be heavier but lighter than it was before to his natural strength. Indeed, our afflictions may be heavy, and we cry out, Oh, we cannot bear them. We cannot bear such an affliction. Though you cannot tell how to bear it with your own strength, yet how can you tell what you will do with the strength of Jesus Christ? You say you cannot bear it? So you think that Christ could not bear it? But if Christ could bear it, why may you not come to bear it? You will say, Can I have the strength of Christ? Yes, it is made over to you by faith. The scripture says that the Lord is our strength. God himself is our strength, and Christ is our strength. There are many scriptures to that effect. That Christ's strength is yours made over to you, so that you may be able to bear whatever lies upon you. And therefore, we find such a strange expression in the epistle of St. Paul to the Colossians, praying for the sinners, that they might be strengthened with all might, according to according unto his glorious power, unto what? Unto all patience and long suffering with joyfulness. Strengthened with all might, according to the power of God, the glorious power of God, unto all patience, long suffering, and joyfulness. You must not therefore be content with a little strength, so that you are able to bear what a man might bear by the strength of reason and nature. But you should be strengthened with all might, according to the glorious power of God, unto all patience, and to all long-suffering. O oh, you, oh, you who are now under 
very heavy and sad afflictions more than usual. Look at the scripture and consider how it is made good in you. And why may you not have this scripture made good in you if you are godly? You should not be quiet in your own spirits unless in some measure you get this scripture made good in you, so that you may with some comfort say, Through God's mercy I find that strength coming into me that is spoken of in this scripture. You should labor when you are under any great affliction. You who are godly, to walk so that others may see such a scripture made good in you. This is the glorious power of God that strengthens his servants to all long-suffering, and that with joyfulness. Alas, it may be that you do not exercise as much patience as a wise man or a wise woman who has only natural reason, but where is the power of God, the glorious power of God? Where is the strengthening with all might unto all long-suffering and patience, and that with joyfulness? It is true, the spirit of man may be able to sustain his infirmities, may be able to sustain and keep up his spirits. The natural spirit of a man can do that, but much more when the spirit is endued with grace and holiness, and when it is filled with the strength of Jesus Christ. This is the way of a godly man this is the way a godly man gets contentment the mystery of it and by getting strength from Jesus Christ 12 a godly heart enjoys much of God in everything he has and knows how to make up all wants in God himself that is another mystery he has God in what he has I spoke about that somewhat before, in showing the due of God's blessing in what one has, for God is able to let out a great deal of his power in little things, and therefore the miracles that God has wrought have been as such have been as much in the little things as in the great. Now, just as God lets out a great deal of his power in working miracles in smaller things, so he lets out a great deal of goodness and mercy in comforting and rejoicing the hearts of his people, in little things as well as in great. There may be as great riches in a pearl as in a great deal of lumber, but this is a different thing. Further, just as a gracious heart lives upon God's due in the little that he has, so when the little that he has shall be taken from him, what shall he do then? Then you will say, if a man has nothing, nothing can be got out of nothing. But if the children of God have their little taken from them, they can make up all their wants in God himself. Such and such a man is a poor man that plund such and such a man is a poor man the plunders came and took away everything he had that he had what shall he do now that all is gone but when all is gone there is an art and skill that godliness teaches to make up all those losses in god many men whose houses have been burnt go about gathering and so get together by many hands a little but a godly man knows where to go to get up all, even in God himself, so that he may enjoy the quintessence of the same good and comfort as he had before. 
for a godly man does not live so much in himself as he lives in God. Now, this is a mystery to a carnal heart. I say, a gracious man does not live so much in himself as in God. He lives in God continually. If anything is cut off from the stream, he knows how to get to the fountain, and makes up all there. God is his all in all. While he lives, I say, it is God who is his all in all. Am not I to thee, said Elkanah to Hannah, instead of ten children? So says God to a gracious heart, You lack this, your estate is plundered. Why, am not I to thee, to you, instead of ten homes and ten shops? I am to you instead of all, and not only instead of all, but come to me, and you shall have all again in me. This indeed is an excellent art, to be able to draw from God what one had before in the creature. Christian, how, do you, how did you enjoy comfort before? Was the creature anything to you but a conduit, a pipe that conveyed God's goodness to you? The pipe is cut off, says God. Come to me, the fountain, and drink immediately. Though the beams are taken away, yet the sun remains, the same in the firmament as ever it was. What is it that satisfies God himself, but that he enjoys all fullness in himself, so he comes to have satisfaction in himself? Now, if you enjoy God as your portion, if your soul can say with the church in Lamentations Lamentations 3.24, The Lord is my portion, saith my soul. Why should you not be satisfied and contented like God? God is contented. He is in eternal contentment in himself. Now if you have that God as your portion, why should you not be contented with him alone, since God is contented with himself alone? If you have him, you may be contented with him alone. And it may be that is the reason why your outward comforts are taken from you, that God may be all in all to you. It may be that while you had these things, they shared with God in your affliction a great part of the stream of your It may be that while you had these things, they shared with God in your affection. A great part of the stream of your affection ran that way. God would have the full stream run to him now. You know when a man has water coming to his house through several pipes, and he finds insufficient water comes in to wash his house, comes into his wash house, He will rather stop the other pipes, that he may have all the water come in where he wants it. Perhaps, then, God has a stream of your affection running to him when you enjoyed these things. Yes, but a great deal was allowed to escape to the creature. A great deal of your affections ran waste. Now the Lord would have... Now the Lord would not have the affections of his children to run waste. He does not care for others for other men's affections but yours are precious and god would have and god would not have them to run waste therefore he has cut off your other pipes that your heart might flow wholly to him if you have children and because you let your servants perhaps feed them and give them things 
you perceive that your servants are stealing away the hearts of your children, you would hardly be able to bear it. You would be ready to send away such a servant. When the servant is gone, the child is at a great loss. It has not got the nurse. But the father or mother intends by sending her away that the affections of the child might run more strongly towards himself or herself. And what loss is it to the child that the affections that ran in a rough channel before towards the servant run now towards the mother? So those affections that run towards the creature. God would have run towards himself, that so he may be all in all to you here in this world. A gracious heart can indeed tell how God a gracious heart can indeed tell how to enjoy God as all in all to him. That is the happiness of heaven to have God to be all in all. The saints in heaven do not have houses and lands and money and met and meat and drink and clothes, you will say. They do not need them. Why not? It is because God is all in all to them immediately. Now, while you live in this world, you may come to enjoy much of God. You may have much of heaven while we live in this life. We may come to enjoy much of the very life that is in heaven. And what is that but the enjoyment of God to be all in all to us? There is one text in in the Revelation that speaks of the glorious condition of the church that is likely to be here, even in this world. And I saw no temple therein, for the Lord God Almighty and the Lamb are the temple of it. And And the city had no need of the sun, neither of the moon to shine in it, for the glory of God did lighten it. And the Lamb that and the Lamb is the light thereof. Revelation 21:22. They had no need of the sun or the moon. It speaks of such a glorious condition that the church is likely to be in here in this world. This does not speak of heaven, but of a glorious estate that the church shall be in here in this world. And that appears plainly, for it follows immediately in the 24th and tw- Uh, 24th verses, and the kings of the earth do bring their glory and honor into it. Why the kings of the earth shall not bring their glory and honor into heaven, but this is such a time when the kings of the earth shall bring their glory and honor to the church. And in the 26th verse, that must have been the 24th and 25th verse, and the 26th verse, and they shall bring the glory and honor of the nations into it. Therefore, here it must mean this world and not heaven. Now is there to it. Now is there is to be such a time here in this world when God shall be all in all, and in comparison there shall be no such need of creatures as there is now. Then the saints should labor to live as near that life as possibly they can, that is, to make up all in God. Oh, that you would consider this mystery, that it may be a reality to the heart's of the saints in such times as these they would find this privilege that they get by grace worth thousands of worlds hence is that statement of jacob's that i have mentioned in another case it is remarkable and is very 
pertinent here in that remarkable speech of Jacob in Genesis 33, when his brother Esau met him, you find in one place that Esau refused Jacob's presence. In the eighth verse, when Jacob gave his present, re- refused Jacob's present. In the eighth verse, when you, when Jacob gave his present to him, he refused it and told Jacob that he had enough. What meanest thou by all this drove which I met? And he said, This, these are to find grace in thy sight. And Esau said, I have enough. Now in the eleventh verse, Jacob urges it still and says, Jacob, I beseech thee, take it, for I have enough. Now in your Bible, it is the same in English, I have enough, saith Esau, and I have enough, saith Jacob. But in the Hebrew, Jacob's word is different from Esau's. Jacob's word signifies, I have all things, and yet Jacob was poorer than Esau. Oh, this should be a shame to us that an Esau can say, I have enough, but a Christian should say, I have not only enough, but I have all. How did he have all? Because he had God who was all. It was a remarkable saying of one, He has all things who has him that has all things. Surely you have all things, because you have him for your portion who is all things. God has all things in himself, and you have God for your portion, and in that you have all. And this is the mystery of contentment. It makes up all its wants in God. This is what the men of the world have little skill in. Now I have many other things still to open in the mystery of contentment. I should show likewise that a godly man not only makes up everything in God, but finds enough in himself to make up all to make up everything in himself, not from himself, but in himself, and that may seem to be stranger than the other. To make up everything in God is something, nay, to make up everything in himself not from himself, but in himself, a gracious heart has so much of God within himself that he has enough there to make up all his outward wants. In Proverbs 14.14 we read, A good man shall be satisfied from himself, from that which is within himself, that is the meaning. A gracious heart, a gracious man has a bird within his own bosom, which makes him melody enough. Though he lacks music, the kingdom of heaven is within you. Luke 17.21 He has a kingdom within him, a kingdom of God. You see him spoken ill of abroad, but he has a conscience within him that makes up the want of a name and credit that is instead of a thousand witnesses.